Welcome to episode 34 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in studio by my good friend, my colleague, and the man who is currently introducing young skulls of mush to the beauties of the Greek language, John Sloat. And and turning what (laughs) solid pieces of brain they have to mush. Yes, indeed. (laughs) You are in the throes of beginning Greek with students here at Grace College and Theological Seminary. You can feel the fear in the room. It's uh, it's something else. Yeah, the deer in headlights look. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It is interesting. I know we talked about this last episode, but how much of, um, you know, you talk about learning the languages, and I think what catches a lot of students off guard when they start learning the languages is they realize how little English they actually know in terms of, like, grammar. Yes. You know, when you start talking about, oh, well, this is an active verb or a passive verb, or this is, you know, a subject or a direct object or the object of a preposition, and it's like you see the the wheels spinning to get their minds around it in Greek or in English before they can then process in Greek what that is. Yeah, I, I know for me when I took it, I was like, okay, I need to dust off the things I learned in like the sixth or seventh grade. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and yeah. some of that stuff is going seems to be going on right now for them. And they're like, oh shoot, I gotta I gotta relearn some of this. Yes. Yeah. So we wanna welcome in our listeners. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can reach us on Twitter at V and S Pod. You can email us, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page, Various and Sundry Podcast. You can find us there. And if you really want to do us a favor, you can go on to the uh, podcast app and leave us a five-star rating yeah, and a nice review would be also greatly appreciated as as mr smith did this week yes yes indeed so shout out to mr smith our one new review this week we're grateful for that so so john what's going on in the world of sports here uh well i mean the same that's been going on the last couple of weeks right so the nba playoffs are going on in the bubble in orlando um no problems as far as i can tell yeah, that's my understanding. That uh, no no positive tests from what I get from what I gather, and you know, basketball makes it a little easier. Smaller than a baseball team, obviously, way smaller than a football team. Sure, contained environment, not allowed to be out and about. They're confined to the bubble. Yeah, and it, it's uh, and they're they're in the midst of the playoffs. A couple of a couple games, a couple series in the first round have already ended. There that's were sweeps right. there. Um, yep, and it seems, everything seems to be going really smoothly. I think all of our picks are still alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, now we're recording on Monday afternoon, and this episode will launch next day on Tuesday. So um, both, you know, we both uh, wait in the West. Did you pick the Clippers? I did. You did. I did. So we both picked the Clippers. We both picked the Clippers, and, and that th- series is two-two now because yeah. Luka Doncic is insane. Um, I forget what his exact numbers were yesterday, but it was something like. I want to say I want to say it was like forty three points, seventeen rebounds, and sixteen assists, or some absurd thing like that, and um, including the game winning step back three in overtime. Yeah, I have him at forty three points, seventeen rebounds, and thirteen assists. Thirteen assists. Okay. So um, they're giving the the Clippers uh, all all they can handle at this point, and I do think um, it is an interesting phenomenon when you take away the home court 
advantage because there is no home court advantage in the bubble. And I think when you combine that with the um, the lack of travel, mm-hmm. so you're not you know you're not ending a game at ten thirty at night, doing the media, getting on a plane at one a.m., flying across the country, getting in at five a.m., getting to the hotel, and then going to a shoot around at four o'clock in the afternoon for a you know all those all those dynamics gone. Yeah, those are terrible dynamics too. Yeah, and. Um, when you add into the fact, like if you've watched these games in the bubble, the backgrounds are solid largely. And so mm-hmm. for a shooting background, for those who aren't big basketball fans, like these are really good shooting backgrounds, meaning that there's less distractions behind the basket and stuff such that it makes it easier and more consistent to shoot. Hmm. And so I think that's part of the reason why offensive numbers are up and uh, you combine that with Players not traveling, so they're not as tired, physically fatigued. You take away the advantage of your home crowd giving you energy and momentum. And I think this is interesting. I mean, it's been pretty much proven that home crowds can influence officials, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's absolutely a hometown bias there, or right? The, the so crowd as a general like rule, yeah. you get more calls on your home floor. Well, there is no home floor anymore. It's, so you think it's a more evenly called game as you're watching them? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. So I think all of those factors do make for the possibility that you will see some very surprising results. And one potentially surprising result is the Jazz are up 3-1 on the Nuggets. So the, the uh, Nuggets are the three seed, Jazz are the six seed, and Jazz are up 3-1. Yeah, the Jazz have Donovan Mitchell though, and the, yeah. you know he he's a blossoming superstar. It feels like in the NBA, yes. um, and um, who, I'm trying to think. Other than the Joker, who who does Denver even have? They, they, Jamal Murray. He's their other big is guy. He, is he, he the, the? He put the up fifty. He put up fifty in. Is it yesterday's game? Yeah, I think it's, is that the most the one, recent game? Is that the one they won? No, they no. lost. Okay. <laughs> Both he and Mitchell went for 50-plus in that oh, game. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> but, yeah, I, it feels like Donovan Mitchell. And Donovan Mitchell has a Mets connection that, that really excites me. Doesn't about he have that. a relative that works for the Mets? Yeah, his dad. His dad works for the Mets. Okay. And has, I think, for years. Um, okay. And so, uh, and so I, I really enjoy Donovan Mitchell. He wears Mets gear to jazz games, which inspires Warm, me. Warms um, your heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm a big Donovan Mitchell fan. Okay. Okay. So um, I have been enjoying the playoffs. I do think that it, it is a nice thing to uh, – it, it's kind of bizarre because of the way they've been doing it. Four games a day, and they start at one thirty in the afternoon. Yeah, there's, so, well, there's what basketball. the first game today? Well, I think even as we're recording here, we've got a game about to start. So these games are starting at one thirty in the afternoon. You've got basketball from one thirty all the way till essentially like 11.30 or midnight. If I was a college student right now, I'd be loving this. <laughs> if, I, if I didn't have like a full-time job that I yeah. was doing things all afternoon, yeah. I, I think I'd be in the dorm watching a, yeah. a lot of basketball. Yeah. So um, it'll be interesting to see how these things develop. Some of these series, uh, Raptors and Celtics have moved on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heat are about to sweep the Pacers um, or three, I guess. So should probably should finish probably, it. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, I've been enjoying that and, uh, we should probably check in on your Mets. What's happened to your Mets, John? Yeah. So, uh, they played really well against the Marlins last week. One, I think either, 
I think they won three games, um, and then uh, and then they got two cases of COVID. The word the word is one player, one coach uh, got COVID. They quarantined them, and no other players in the last three days have tested positive. So they're resuming play on Tuesday. Okay. And even though baseball has had some hiccups um, with COVID, like with the Mets or with the Marlins earlier, or the, the Cardinals, Cardinals, yeah. Overall, it's still gone pretty well. I mean, you had to expect some positive test results if you were yes. going to do the do it the way baseball is currently doing it. Yes. Um, sorry, there's some horns outside. <laughs> Um, but uh, but overall, I think it's I think it's worked pretty well. Um, it's maybe not gone as well as basketball. Uh, no, but it, that, in some ways, that's an unfair comparison because you've got smaller teams, fewer teams, and you've got them clearly in a bubble. Like they're not traveling; they're all confined. Baseball's trying to do a f- full season, quotes. You know, yeah. uh, sixty games where basketball is doing like i think it was like seven or eight games and then the playoffs yes that seems much more doable yeah um, than a full season yeah yeah so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out um college football uh big 12 acc sec still moving ahead with plans for the season uh big 10 and uh pac 12 have pulled the plug despite um Parent protests. Parents from all most of the different uh, Big Ten schools protested wow. outside the Big Ten office. Really, um, to get football reinstated. So I, I know a pastor in Pittsburgh whose son is a freshman offensive lineman for Purdue, mm-hmm. and I wonder if he was one of the parents because yeah. I've seen his Facebook post and he is unhappy. The Big Ten is not playing. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- I mean, there were media reports that apparently. Privately, the new the, the commissioner of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren, who is new to the post within the last like six months. Oh gosh! Welcome to the job. <laughs> yeah, here's a global pandemic, but basically admitted privately, I didn't think that this would cause so much um, so much controversy. Me canceling the the season, which if that's true, he's an idiot. Really? If that's true, he's an idiot. And doesn't and, and is unqualified for the job. Like, honestly, if you didn't think canceling the season would cause controversy, and one of the latest wrinkles was apparently um, the athletic directors of the different schools were not in the meeting to discuss the the uh, the cancellation of the season. It was university presidents and medical the medical experts and um, the commissioner. Hmm. And so apparently almost all of the ADs wanted to play, which makes sense. Sure, yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, it's it's the Big Ten has officially become a dumpster fire at the top well, levels of the leadership. You know who, to, who could have gotten those games happening is if you had the CFOs of those universities with the presidents. Yeah. And they said, here's how much money you're going to lose if you cancel the season. Yeah. I think that would have changed some presidents' minds. But surely the presidents can't be that naive to how much money they just flush down the toilet. Well, the commissioner doesn't seem to think that, you know, this is just some sort of fall fund that we have out there. You know, it's not a million dollar thing that people live and die on, you know. Anyway, I'll get too salty if we keep talking about that too much. But uh, are we uh, are we actually ready here to uh, 
to move on to our main topic for the day? I think so. Our Q&A episode. It's finally here. It's here. And we have um, six, seven questions. Yeah. That, yeah. We're, that we're comfortable with answering on, on <laughs> yeah. the air. Yeah. Now, in fairness, we did get more questions than this. But uh, some of the questions that you submitted as listeners uh, violated rule number one of the podcast. Don't get fired. Don't get fired. Mm-hmm. And so we vetoed those as we are wont to do. As well as some of them were pretty intricate um, yes. in answering. And we didn't, we didn't want to go down that uh, that rabbit hole because we right. did, didn't necessarily – and it may have violated rule number one eventually. Yes. Now, there was one that we're not going to answer today because we're strongly considering turning it into its own episode. So um, do you want to – yeah, I think that was Chase Ringler who, yeah. who submitted that. So Chase, don't be offended that your that your question isn't out yeah. here, but we'll, uh, we'll Yeah, it was it was so good we thought we could make a whole episode out of it. So in any case, um, well let's start with a softball. Okay. This is a question from uh, do you remember who this is from? I think it's from your son. That's what I thought. <laughs> Jake in Ohio. Or Jake in Indiana. Jake, Jake in who Indiana. wishes he was in yeah. Ohio. <laughs> Uh, asks, who came up with the podcast idea? Well, it was him, wasn't it? He likes to think so. <laughs> and, and in fairness, he and his friend Landon did have a role. But, I mean, we do go into this. We'll, we'll give the, the, the short answer to this because we talk about this in episode zero. So if you're, if you're new to the podcast, um, you might want to go back and check out episode zero to see uh, a little bit more about this. But... Basically, this podcast grew out of our um, Sunday afternoon conversations, watching sports of various kinds on Sunday afternoons after eating Clunch, which is Kate's lunch. My wife, mm-hmm. Kate, makes a delightful lunch after church uh, involving breakfast foods. And so um, a lot of these conversa- those conversations cover the kind of topics we talk about in the podcast. Sports, theology, culture, mm-hmm. uh, books we're reading, travel, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And so um, they, both Jake and his friend Landon, were, um, as they would sit and listen and participate to some degree. Which I didn't even know they were listening to us yeah. most of the time. At one point they said, you guys should do a podcast and it should be this, you guys talking about these different things. So they get some partial credit. Not full credit, but partial credit. Where do you give the rest of the credit to? Um, I think we had actually talked about that idea as a possibility before. Um, or at least I had tossed it out as a, you ever think about doing a podcast? I think we could do a podcast. But this sort of crystallized it, having some outside. Uh, well, and, th- and then I think I was skeptical the the whole time we were planning to do yeah. this. And uh, just to put my cards on the table, I thought, Who's really going to listen to us? And I was like, if we get if we get fifty downloads a week, I'll be happy. You know, I, I think that's kind of where I was at. Yeah. And uh, lo and behold, we simply blow that out of the water. Yeah. On a yeah, weekly it's been basis, fun. it's been fun. So, yeah. Next question. Yeah, yeah. I think next question. Um, I'll, I'll ask this question. <laughs> Uh, and it's, our questions are really all over the map. Hence, uh, I mean, this is the various and yeah. sundry podcast. So here we go. Uh, Matt Harmon, was Isaiah 40 to 66 written sometime after Isaiah 1 to 39? Yeah. So uh, for our listeners who may not fully grasp 
what that question is trying to get at is so Isaiah the, is a book of the Bible. Well, yeah, we got. I, I hope. I hope most of our listeners know that. Um, so, uh, in the academy, in scholarly circles, it is a widely held belief, uh, scholarly view, that um, Isaiah one through thirty nine was written uh, at one point in history, perhaps even by the prophet Isaiah, and then chapters forty through sixty six were written by someone else. A couple hundred years later, in in, in this view, and so um, this listener, I think this is Chris in Indiana, who sent this. Yeah, no, I thought I so. thought it was Austin Kaufman. Oh, okay. Well, sorry, I'm using last names. I shouldn't use last it's, names. It's, maybe it's Austin in Indiana. Austin in Indiana. Yeah, there you go. Um, in any case, um, I am fully convinced that the prophet Isaiah wrote the entire thing. But it should be noted that when it comes to um, sort of these these prophetic books, they are usually a collection of different prophetic oracles that the prophet gave throughout the course of his life, mm. rather than um, necessarily being a continuous narrative of, um, you know, maybe written at one particular point in the prophet's life, more of a Towards the close of the prophet's life, they were gathered together and organized in certain forms. And so I think that uh, – I do think Isaiah wrote all 66 chapters, but it is entirely possible that these um, prophetic oracles came from different points in his life and ministry. And um, I think the biggest thing that people push back on is some of the predictive prophecy that is in chapters mm-hmm. 40 through 66 that seems like, well, how could – how, is is Isaiah really announcing a hundred plus, two hundred plus years in advance certain things that are going to happen? And my answer is, yeah. And there is a, I mean, there is a pretty sharp divide there between thirty nine and forty. I think I think scholars, for the most part, agree that there's a, there's a shift in writing there. There is, though that is often overplayed. But there is a there is a somewhat of a shift there in terms of. Um, tone and emphasis and um, the, the move from more emphasis on God's impending judgment and exile coming, and then in chapter 40, there tends to be more of a shift towards God's going to bring restoration. And however, a, a shift does not necessarily mean new author, right. which, which seems to be a, a kind of a theme when, yeah. when we're looking at uh, critical scholars yeah. uh, who want to... Uh, break things apart. Like if there's any shift, it's a change in authorship all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and you see it with Paul's work and, and people that are questioning that is that yeah. anytime there's a shift in, in writing, um, they question it. And, and I just don't think that's the case. We can write differently. We can intentionally sit down and write from a different perspective. And Yeah. And I do think that it, it is important to recognize that uh, critical scholars often are driven by a pretty strong anti-supernatural bent or bias sure. that it immediately dismisses the possibility of predictive prophecy of someone announcing in advance something that's going to happen and it actually happening. Sure. So yeah. I think that's that's helpful to note. So this third one's for you, John, yeah. singling you out. Okay. So here we go. John, please talk more about being a Jets fan. Why are you a fan? What does it mean to be a fan through the thick and thin? 
Um, Why have you chosen this road of misery, John? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to expand that out <laughs> to include my baseball team and my basketball team as well. Yeah, go for it. Um, because I feel like I can talk about them all pretty similarly. Yeah. Uh, Jets, Mets, Knicks. Um, when was the last time there was a championship in that batch? The last time? Yeah. Um, 1986. Like, like a, like a, like I'm not talking like winning the division or winning the okay, the yeah. conference. I'm talking about Super winning Bowl, the World Series, or NBA uh, championship. NBA championship. Yeah, yeah. 86. Um, the Mets or yeah, yeah 86. The Mets won the mm-hmm. World Series, um, which is two years before I was born. Yeah. So in your lifetime, your your three most cherished teams mm-hmm. have never won a a, a champ a, a Ultimate championship. That's correct. I've seen the Mets, the World Series twice. So yeah. 2000 and 2015. Yeah. Um, so like clockwork, you know, every 15 years or so. Um, <laughs> so we only had 10 more years to go, John. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, the Jets, I've seen the AFC championship game three times. Yep. Um, and the Knicks... <laughs> I've seen in the playoffs a few times um, that I can remember. They they went to the '94 championship, but I don't yeah. don't remember that championship. And even that finals appearance was completely eclipsed by by the, the OJ. OJ Simpson yes. mess. Him yes. being wanted for murder and yeah. the chase and all of that. Yeah. Those yeah. are actually some of my earliest memories. Is my mom watching the OJ <laughs> trial? <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, I vividly remember the yeah. my mom watching the OJ trial. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's all based on where I'm from. Is I'm, I'm sure. born Long Island uh, and left when I was young, seven eight years old, something like that. But but my you know I kind of picked up the teams my dad had, and yep. they were Mets, Jets, and 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 Knicks. Now my dad. My goodness! I mean, he's seen the Knicks win a couple championships. He's seen the the Mets win a couple championships, and he's seen uh, he would have seen Joe Namath win the championship in '69. So, yeah, um, he's had a much different experience than I, than I have in watching them. Sure, um, but yeah, I think I think I'm just stubbornly committed, and and we've talked about this before. I enjoy being unique but not different like i like having this little little thing that's a little bit different than everybody else but not weird um and and i think one of those things is that i root for teams that nobody else in my in my area root for so jets mets knicks um and it's fun to run across somebody else who roots for them i actually can't remember the last time i met another (laughs) knicks fan um but uh but every now and then i run into a jets fan every now and then i run into a mets fan um and uh, and those are always really really joyful conversations about mm-hmm. about uh, about those teams. But yeah, uh, so that's why is my family rooted for them and still does. Um, so talk a little bit about the whole thick and thin piece of it. Like, wh- what is it like to be a fan of franchises that mm-hmm. at the moment and really throughout the course of your life you've had some of these little. You know, spikes Moment, where they're moments of greatness where, where they're yeah. good, where they're really good, like championship contender good. Well, I would I would say even when the Jets made the AFC Championship in probably the last ten years, ten or twelve years, they made it twice, and 
those were surprises. Yeah. Like the team during the regular season, you went, oh my gosh, they're sort of 500. Oh, they barely made the playoffs. And then it was like, watch out. You know, yeah. you know, it was, yeah. it was one of those moments. Um, it is, it, it's, it's hard to describe. And it's hard to describe to somebody who's a Buckeyes fan whose team is constantly in the top five. Um, we'll circle back to that one in just a minute. <laughs> I'll let you continue. Um, because you're kind of constantly rooting for them, but also rooting against the owner. Um, because all three teams have pretty pretty terrible owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you want them, and you're like, come on, sell the team. Sell the team. Yeah. And you're like, if they're just bad enough, they'll sell the team. And then we can be really great if we get the right ownership in there. Um, but... Uh, you know, despite how mediocre we've been over the mm-hmm. past 10 years or so, it hasn't happened. So uh, the Mets are on the brink of a sale, though. Hopefully it happens in the next couple months and, and we can move on. But, yeah, it's kind of rooting for them and kind of rooting against them at the same time because you're like, goodness, we could really use, you know, a really excellent draft pick or, you know, the commissioner to come in and say, you need to sell the team now or, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But do you want to comment on the Buckeyes real quick and constantly being in the top five? Yeah, because um, I will. Part of my my rebuttal to that is that is absolutely since uh, since two thousand one, they have been amazing. So the last twenty years, basically, last twenty years, which is a great stretch. It's arguably the best stretch of Ohio State football. Um, now again, they've won two national titles in that window. Uh, there was a stretch back in like the 50s and 60s where they won more national titles. But I would argue it's way harder to win national titles today than it was back then. In any case, um, I grew up with a team that, well, basically from my high school years, the 90s, the John Cooper era of Ohio State Mm. football, where they went through a 13-year stretch where they beat Michigan twice. And almost every year in that 13-year window, on paper, Ohio State had the better team. And the number of times where Ohio State was undefeated going into the Michigan game and just needed to beat them to go on to play for a national title, Mm -hmm. there must have been at least three or maybe four times in the 90s where that happened. But that's still consistent good, good teams. It is. But here's the thing. Because college football is different— that that's the that's the season breaker. Mm-hmm. It's not like the NFL where your Jets can lose twice to the Patriots and still make the playoffs and have a successful year. Ohio State loses to Michigan. That's it. Their year's done. Typically, like yeah, they can go off and win a bowl game or something, but you know they can't compete for a championship. Yeah. So part of the that's just the different nature. So I had to endure the years where. Uh, Ohio State would consistently lose to Michigan. And now my children have grown up in a period where that almost never happens. Like, my youngest son, Jake, is uh, 19. Twice in his lifetime, Ohio State has lost to Michigan. Twice. Has your son, Jake, ever known the Buckeyes to be unranked out of the top 25? Yes. There was um, the year after, uh, well, the year before Urban Meyer took over. And there was the mess with the tattoo gate scandal. Oh yeah, junk. And uh, they were six and six, lost their bowl game to go six and seven. So the the year before, they Urban fell Myers, out of the top. 25. They were out of the top twenty five. 
And then the next year they were on a bowl ban, ran the table, went undefeated, but couldn't play in a bowl. Hmm. So, um, but yeah. So I'm not putting it on the same level as the misery of the Jets and Mets and the Knicks, mm-hmm. but I am intimately familiar with having your entire season thrown away because your more talented team can't win the be- the most important game on their schedule. But we we my, none of my teams are more talented. <laughs> no, none of them are more talented. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I won't they deb- they they are all mired in mediocrity. Uh, uh, I, I won't debate that. And subpar performances. Okay. So this is sort of in that same realm. The next one is um, oh, favorite sports. If you moment? had to name one or maybe several, what was your favorite moment in sports, or several that are your favorite? Um, I thought about this a little bit. I think, uh, I think watching Eli Manning lead the charge with the the helmet catch of David Tyree against yeah. the Patriots in the Super Bowl in their undefeated season. <laughs> That, but it was the Giants. I know, I know. It's not my team. One of the rivals of your of your I, beloved Jets. I know, but it was such a <laughs> euphoric moment to watch your the hatred Patriots. of the Patriots overcame yes. that. Okay, yeah, yeah. and I, I think about it as like, what's the greatest sports moment I've lived through? I'm thinking that might be it. Um, watching watching that comeback happen, and mm-hmm. that might be it. Okay. I, I was thinking about it earlier, and I think that might be the best one I can think of. Okay. How about yourself? Well, um, I've got three. It's our show. We can do what okay. we want. So if you want to come back and add some more, you're welcome to do that. Um, I'm going to go with two Ohio State ones. Okay. The first is winning the national championship with that 2001 team that came out of nowhere, went 13-0 in the regular season, and – was a double-digit underdog to Miami of Florida and beat them in double overtime. Yeah. That was an unexpected national championship. Cornerback blitz? To be uh, to be sure. The other one was Ohio State. Uh, their national championship team, um, the one they won it in the 2014 regular season, 2015 championship uh, playoff. But not the title game. It was when they beat Alabama in the national semifinals. And there was an iconic moment in that game where Ohio state was not given a chance. Okay. Not really given much of a chance. They, I don't Mm -hmm. know if they were double digit underdogs, but they were probably close, at least a touchdown. And Ohio state had rallied all the way back, taken the lead. And, um, but Bama had all the momentum, had Ohio state pinned deep much of the fourth quarter. And then there is one of the most iconic plays in all of Ohio state football history was the 85-yard touchdown run by Ezekiel Elliott, where he busted through the left side and outran everybody to the end zone. It's it's one of the most iconic moments in uh, in Ohio State football history. Hmm. And then um, the third one was um, from my experience at Lakeland Christian, being a part of the team <laughs> that uh, we, uh, being a part of the coaching staff and having my son on the team when we won our first sectional game in program history a couple of years ago, a few years ago. That was uh, a pretty special moment. Hmm. I'll add one. Okay. Uh, when uh, So we, we live um, in northern Indiana, 
the baseball team of choice here is probably the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. Probably the majority of the people here are Cubs oh, yeah. fans. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in the uh, in uh, in in the playoffs, the Mets played the Cubs. That was back in 2015, right? 2015. Yeah. Um, and uh, Aaron Crabtree, who I was working for at the time, is a big Cubs fan. We did not talk through the series. And uh, well, we had another. We had a Cubs fan in our life group. Yes, yes, a dear friend of a mine, a dear friend of ours, who, uh, who, yeah. But you guys at least were talking. We were we were having conversation, <laughs> but I mean to to beat them and see yeah. see the joy drained from their face was was pretty memorable. Yeah. And uh, and seeing Daniel Murphy hit all those home runs against the Cubs was uh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Next question. Ready? Yeah. Yeah. Should we as Christians listen to Bethel and Hill song music? Do you want this one? Do you want to go first? Or you want me to? I'll, I'll let you take the lead on this. Okay. I think we might have a little difference of opinion on this one, okay. or probably degree. I think we probably shouldn't. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not sure it's a hill I'm willing to die on. Okay. How about yourself? Yeah, I'll probably push a little further, um, and I, I will make the distinction. Um, I I absolutely do not think that we should be using their music in worship services, and not so much that the songs themselves are are necessarily questionable theologically. But we don't want to be pointing people towards those ministries. Exactly. Yeah. When you when you find out more about their ministries, there's some goofy stuff going on in both the Bethel camp mm-hmm. and the Hillsong camp. Um, and so I'd be a little hesitant to point people towards that. And so that makes me hesitant then to recommend their music or uh, promote singing it, especially in a worship service. Yeah. So I think we're largely on the same. I, I think I'm probably maybe a little bit more forceful. Yeah, I think that. you're, and that's what I meant when I said I think yeah. we're at yeah. different spots. I'm, yeah. I'm more like, I don't think we should, but it's not, it's not something I'm going to really strongly advocate for. Yeah, I'm not w- willing to die on that hill, but yeah. uh, I might take some shots. <laughs> I'm willing to take a little punishment on the hill, maybe. Um, uh, next question. Yeah. I better ask you this one because okay. it's directed at you. Um, uh, <laughs> what are Dr. Harmon's laments, is how the question's from, yeah, uh, about soccer? Um, and what rules would he change to make it better? Yeah. Did okay. you add that question? In? I did not. No. Okay. Because I know you have specific rule I do, yeah. improvements. So, Yeah. So um, I think a, a couple things frustrate me about soccer. Um, I think that more so perhaps than any other sport, the team that is better loses more often than in other sports. Because of the nature of soccer, it feels to me like I've seen enough soccer matches at the high school level and then at the like World Cup and Olympic level where it seems like one team is better, more mm-hmm. skilled, better players, but can't seem to break through and score. And then they have one breakdown where the other team gets a guy out in front and they score. And so the better team, even though they dominate the entire game, 
ends up losing the game. I don't like I'm 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 I don't tend to like sports like that. I don't tend to like situations like that. It's probably why you like college football because the the higher seed wins so regularly. The the better team tends to win. Mm-hmm. Yes, more more consistently. The other thing I don't like is the fact that you can play forever and still end up zero zero. Yeah, tying's a, a tough part of that game. Yeah, and that you get to points where it's okay. We're giving up on actually trying to to play the game anymore. And now we're just going to have penalty kicks to see who wins, which to me is crazy mm-hmm. because it would be like playing a basketball game for, you know, four or five overtimes and then deciding this is enough. Get your best free throw, you know, get, get five guys. They each take one free throw. Whoever makes more free throws wins. What is that? What is that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not a fan. Okay. So rule changes. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard these yeah. before, but, but lay them on me. I, I'm going to give my radical one and my less radical one. Okay. The radical one would be to eliminate offsides. Just okay. eliminate it. If you, if, if you want to send somebody back there to cherry pick and play behind the, the, the defense, let it. Let it happen. That's your radical one? That's my radical one. I think that's less radical than your other one. You think so? I think so, yeah. Okay, well, we'll let the listeners be the judge. My... my uh, my other one is to um, bring a little basketball influence into the, mm-hmm. into the game yeah. of soccer. This is where this is radical. <laughs> I think that you know in basketball you have you know front court and back court, and once you get the ball into the front court, you cannot take the ball into the back court. It's a violation. It's a turnover if you do that. Sure. Let's bring that into soccer. So once the ball is advanced into the the front half of the field on offense. To not be able to intentionally kick the ball back into the back half of the field to reset and to reorganize the offense, I think that would compress the field. I think it would create more turnovers and create more fast break action. It would be very exciting. Yeah. I think it would in, in, in increase the the intensity of and excitement yeah. of. The, I, I the think game. that's radical. You think so? I okay, think some no. purists are going to be. Well, I've I've already lost the purists, John. <laughs> I've already lost the purist. So, and those are the questions we could answer. There you go. Those are the ones that uh, don't violate the uh, rule number one of the podcast. So, um, are we ready to move on to athlete episode thirty-four here? I think so. You want to walk us through them? Yeah, sure. So, um, a few running backs from the NFL: Walter Payton, eighty-five Bears. Yes, uh, Thurman Thomas, mm-hmm. Bo Jackson. So. Pretty solid. Yeah, solid pretty, group there. Yep. Uh, in the world of the NBA, uh, Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, did wear 34. We discussed him a little bit under number 32 as well. So Yeah. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon, who was a dominant center in the 90s. For the Rockets. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the world of baseball, Bryce Harper and Kirby Puckett. Mm. Kirby Puckett, twins legend from—and and a guy that if you— Walked past him on the street, you'd never guess he was a professional athlete. He did not have the professional athlete build. Hmm. Shorter guy, kind of chubby looking. And so, you know, you'd never guess he was as um, athletic maybe as he actually was. Great name, though. Kirby Puck. Absolutely. So, um, and then uh, for Ohio State, two running backs, Raymond Harris from the Hmm. 90s. Um, uh, Noteworthy running back. And then more recently— Carlos Hyde 
running back from 2010 to 2013. I always enjoyed Carlos Hyde. Still plays in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, a good, solid NFL running back nicknamed El Guapo. El Guapo. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, just a solid runner. I mean, isn't going to, at the NFL level, isn't going to bust a long run, but isn't going to lose you yardage either. Yeah, absolutely. So who you like here, John? Well, um, if we, I, I move to eliminate all baseball players from this list. So moved? Um, so I don't like Bryce Harper. <laughs> and Kirby Puckett, okay. I'm, I'm good to get rid of. Okay, um, that's fine. It's fine. Basketball players, um, if I'm picking between the two of them, I'm picking Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah. Um, you okay with that? I'm very so, okay with uh, that. Eliminating Shaq. Yep. Okay. And then running backs, I'm okay eliminating Thurman Thomas. Yeah. I think he was a little underappreciated. It was on those Bills teams in the 90s that went to the four straight Super Bowls. Good runner, good uh, pass catcher out of the backfield, but uh, not on the same level in terms of uh, the other two. So. so that leaves us with Walter Payton, Bo Jackson, Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah. Who do, do you, you, <laughs> who do you like? I'll put it on you. Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm debating between um, Walter Payton and Bo Jackson. I mean, Walter Payton was, uh, when, I think when he retired, he was the all-time leading rusher in NFL history. Yeah. Was... Um, you know, a staple of the Bears franchise for for many years there, and carried them because they no, almost never had a passing attack. And I believe was a fairly high character individual as well. I think there's a Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Yeah, that's that, correct. That's out yep. there now. But then you got Bo Jackson, who played two sports. Yeah, and was freakishly athletic. I mean, we throw that term around, but um, there's a thirty for thirty on Bo Jackson, and it mm-hmm. is fascinating because. He was not one of these guys that was freakish because he, you know, threw himself into the weight room and did all like he was just naturally working with a different set of athleticism that than anybody at the time. Yeah. And uh, his career ended at the same time on one play, correct? Uh, where yes. his uh I believe his hip got uh, out of socket or yeah. something, something along those yep. lines. Kind and, of a freakish and when you look at the play, uh, when you look at the replay of it it doesn't look like the kind of hit that you think that just ended his career. Well, and I, if I remember right, oh, I'm reaching back to the 30 for 30 here, but a guy had his leg and he was so strong that he just basically pulled it yeah. out <laughs> yeah. in the moment there. Yeah. Um, he really ended up doing it to himself. His freakish talent and athletic yeah. ability really hurt him. Yeah. So are, are, are we, you want to go with Bo or? I love Bo. Okay. Yeah, I think Bo's a Let's great Let's do pick. it. We're going with Bo. Bo Jackson. All right. All right. Um, one thing you like. Okay. So we're back to school this week, this last week. And yep. so uh, things are crazy again. It's been weird to have people on campus. Uh, but one tradition that remained despite of despite COVID is uh, myself and uh, another faculty member on campus, uh, Pat Loeb's, lead something called The Hike, which welcomes freshmen to our campus and it looked different a little bit different this year than past years but it was still done it was um, a good day it was beautiful out we had them race cardboard boats on the lake that they made 
Uh, that's every, kind of the culminating event. That's the culminating that. event, yeah. but they're doing a scavenger hunt all over campus, yeah. and uh, I, I get the honor of being part of the leadership team on that. So that's that's a lot of fun year after year to do. Um, so that happened this week, and it's always it's always fun to watch a new class of freshmen uh, go through that. Yeah. So my one thing is going to be along similar lines, and that's simply being back in the classroom with my Greek students. So this current group of second-year Greek students, mm-hmm. was, I, I didn't have them fall semester last year because you taught beginning that's Greek right. 1 and 2. So I had them for beginning Greek 3 and then one in-person class period of Greek exegesis before we shut things down for COVID. So it is great to be back in the classroom with them and um, just reconnecting with them and having discussions about the Greek text. We're in Galatians. I'm really enjoying that. And um, seeing some of those light bulbs turn on for them, seeing them actually get to put into use Mm -hmm. the Greek that they have labored so hard to acquire and see them realizing, oh, okay, so so this is this is why we did all this, so we can do that. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that that's why. Do you see the benefit now? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. <laughs> so it that that's just a um, a very um, meaningful kind of uh, a rewarding experience as a faculty. Well, good. good. Yeah. Well, by nature, right? When you do a Q and A episode, you're you're definitely covering various and sundry topics. Yeah, we were really all over the map yeah. today. Yeah. yeah, so I'm ready to call mission accomplished if you are. Yep, yep. What are, what's the uh, what's the other option to just uh, keep going? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, other podcasts do that. But yes, we won't. We 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 know that uh, our time is up. So if you want to uh, again connect with us on social media, we'd love to to hear from you. Um, but until next time. The Lord bless y'all real good. Later.